Uh, so, I get to say this as the first uh, Sunday of 2024. Happy New Year, everybody! Uh, I'm still Pete, I'm still one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to deliver the sermon this week. We are starting a new series this week. It's going to be a four-week series on generosity. This is something like the 15th time I've participated in a series on generosity or finances here at River Heights. We tend to talk about this stuff every year, uh, in part because it is all over the Bible, and it's one of the things Jesus talked about real frequently, and in part because our lives and our hearts have grown so much through generosity. I am so grateful to have been at a church that has always been able to help me continue growing in generosity no matter where I'm at in my journey. Generosity is a huge part of why I even go to the church. I love that we are committed to giving away food. It cost $250,000 from like a couple hundred adults to build the space that we use to host loaves and fishes, which is happening. 170 to 200 people are getting fed four nights a week out of this church, which is an amazing miracle. I love that we knew we wanted to meet at the same time as our Spanish language brothers and sisters in La Vina. We are two languages, one church family. And so we built this sanctuary so that they could meet in that one and our kids could be in ministry together at the same time. I love that we provide free childcare to our recovery program because there are so many single parents who cannot find a meeting because they can't find a safe place for their kids to be during the meeting. If you have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, which is how many people in this room, people? This is second service. I know you have these for hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Um, we work on those things each week at Celebrate Recovery. That's our Christ-centered 12-step program on Tuesdays at 645. It is a glorious and wonderful meeting. You should come. Um, today, I'm going to preach from a passage that was, for a short season, my favorite in the whole Bible, for reasons I'll talk about shortly. Uh, we're going to talk about what it means to stand confidently before God, to stand in the presence of God, the creator of the universe, and know that you've been transformed by God's love so much that you can be in his presence with confidence and joy. The greatest story of my life is one that you're going to hear almost every time I preach. It's God saving me from drug addiction and suicide in my 20s. I was so depressed from the ages of 9 to 23. I thought about harming myself all the time, and I did harm myself sometimes. I have so many memories of being a bad kid, of being hated or rejected by kids and adults, and of just being afraid and alone most of the time. I became an amazing reader as a kid because I read one to three books a day because books are safe and you can read them alone in your room. My mom did bring us to church, and I had a few experiences of God's presence when I was young. And how would you know that happened? Like, you just know when it happens. On those occasions, I would start bawling. Uh, three times as a young person in different settings. Somebody was praying for me, and I just felt like God showed up. And that experience was, as a young person, accompanied by this feeling, I am too awful to be in the presence of all this love and goodness that is trying to get near me at this time. I'm just not good enough. And yet God still came, and He still loved me. I would describe myself as anything but confident in God's presence. I was mostly ashamed and afraid. If anyone had asked, what's God like? I would have said, he seems good and loving. The problem was I was so aware that I wasn't, and I didn't know how to reconcile those things. The Bible in 1 John 3 
has a passage that lets us know what it takes to stand before God with a clear conscience and confidence. And it might not be what you think. It's certainly not about being perfect. Could I get an amen? Hallelujah, that's not the criteria, as near as I can tell, unless you count Christ's perfection for us. It's not about having right beliefs or doctrines or ideas. And it's not delusion. It actually is possible to be in the presence of the most mysterious and great and high and holy being in all the universe with confidence and with joy. Uh, as background, 1 John's a letter most likely written by the Apostle John. In the ancient world, sometimes people wrote someone as the author as a way of respecting and honoring that author. So it was either John or someone who had a lot of respect and familiarity with John. And at this time, persecution has started against Christians. Early on in Christianity, Christianity was considered Judaism, and that was legal in the Roman Empire. But these Christians uh, started being accused of putting Jesus ahead of Caesar, and as a result, um, they started treating Christianity as a separate religion and persecuting, uh, to the point of death, uh, Christians throughout the empire. And so at this time, there were fellowships that were considering abandoning Christianity and going back to Judaism because of the persecution of the government. And so several books, Hebrews is another one of them, 1 John, etc. These are encouragements to us to continue following Jesus in a world where things are hard. Does that sound like anyone's life here today? Does anyone need encouragement to continue following Jesus when things are hard? Amen? Right? Uh, this letter reads a lot more like a sermon than like a letter, but it is a letter. And so let's start with chapter 3. We're going to read verses 14 to 24. We'll stop and talk about verses as we go. Verse 14 says, If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. And so the first thing we see in this passage is that it's our love for our fellow Christians that proves that we've passed from death to life. And if we do not love, especially a fellow brother or sister in Christ, we actually can't be alive. John goes even further. He says, if you hate a follower of Jesus, you're as good as a murderer, and that proves you do not have eternal life within you. And so I want to strongly counsel you to examine your heart. Do I have hatred in my heart for a fellow believer? And if so, do the business it takes to let that go. Do whatever it takes to let that go. Verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And so this is a real important point in the, where the passage is going, so I want to sit on these two verses for a second. You uh, probably have noticed throughout the world people define love in all kinds of ways, and the word love can mean all kinds of things. One of my daughters is now in love with one of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't even know how that happened. She's like, Dad, can I watch a hockey game? I said, what? You don't watch hockey. She said, there's this guy, he's really cute. You know, okay, I don't know how he looks cute on the ice, but whatever. Um, sometimes the ways people define love end up unrecognizable. The reason I treat you so horribly is because I hate you. Like, what does that even mean? 
Uh, one of the things that really blesses me about the Bible is that it focuses relentlessly on how our actions reveal our heart. The love of God isn't some mental, emotional experience that sits inside of you and never makes it out here. Instead, the love of God, as we experience it, is meant to be so powerful that it reorients our lives and changes how we live toward other people. The love of God is meant to happen to us and then flow through us into the world. The love of God is demonstrated in action. What's it say here? Proves that we have compassion, seeing people in need and helping them. The love of God is something you do. Think about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It defines love for us as followers of Jesus, and it uses action words. Love is patient. Patience not inside. Who needs someone patience inside their heart? You need patience out here. Love is kind. Kindness is shown through action. Love does not rejoice with evil, but rejoices with the truth, right? That's a verb. Those are action words. And here we see in today's passage that we know what love is because Jesus demonstrated it by giving up his life. Jesus loved us, and so he gave himself for us. God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only son, right? And if you want to know whether a person has God's love in their life, take a look. How do they respond to people in need? Because love, when it has enough, does not turn away from people's need. When we see a brother or sister in our faith who's struggling, we do not reject the cost. We remember how Jesus willingly took the cost for everyone he loved and how Jesus continues to bear the cost with me and you again and again. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. How beautiful is that? Can we get an amen? If you've ever been in a close personal relationship, I'm thinking of marriage right now. Maybe you've been in a different relationship that's close and personal. Do you know how sometimes it takes work to have mercy for someone the next day? Have you ever been in a situation where you're tempted to not have mercy the next day? Anybody besides me? That is not how God looks at us. That is not the love of God that has flowed toward us because of the work of Jesus Christ. God's mercy is brand spanking new for you today and every single day. It always has been and it always will be. You are welcome to the love of God. God's love helps people. How could we love our brother or sister, see them in need, and not help when Jesus looks down at me, who is in need so very often? and is always willing to help. I will never forget what my sister-in-law said after God had saved my life and started changing me in my 20s. She said, you were using a lot of good words. I wasn't really sure about your faith, but then you offered to wash the dishes after dinner, and I knew God has done something, <laughs> right? So she had gotten to know me as a teen, and uh, my parents moved up here to Minnesota. I was down in Arizona. I came back for a visit and discovered that apparently I was not a very good teen, right? Like... But I just got to the end of the meal, and I was like, I go to these university retreats, and when people are done eating, everybody wants to help. I should help. And that was the love of God, changing my life, changing who I am. 
God's love is a creative force that motivates us to action. It leaves us unwilling to enjoy plenty when a brother and a sister are suffering. It moves us with compassion and moves us to generosity. The love of God is the wellspring of our generosity as the people of God. God's love fills our hearts and our bodies and moves us to change the world despite the temptation to turn away and protect and keep what we have. God's love is the light that shines in the darkness and overcomes it with good instead of huddling together with the other lights. Here's how the rest of the passage puts it. Verse 18, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him, and He with them. And we know He lives in us, because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. The Apostle John is showing us the benefits of love that goes beyond words and becomes action. And one of those benefits is wonderful. When the love of God lives through us into our actions, we can stand confidently in the presence of God. With the secure knowledge that the Spirit of the living God lives in us, as shown by the love, that we put into practice in the world. When God reached into my life and set me free, I still had a ton of conflicted feelings about God and me, like whether God could love me, whether I could follow God. Every encounter I had with God had actually been somewhere between mysterious and awesome, but the words and actions of God's people often left me wondering, maybe God's judgmental and mean even though He seems awesome, maybe it's some kind of trick. Am I unfixable and worthless? Open question, despite the hope that I would matter. I was very conscious in my first years of following God just how far away I had gotten and how much I had done that was genuinely not good. And God's presence was a beautiful miracle in my life, but I did not know, is this going to last? Those were all real questions for me as a new Christian. My second summer of following Jesus, I moved to Los Angeles to live at the Union Rescue Mission as an intern, and this is so different than it sounds like. I'll first give you a picture of the Union Rescue Mission and why I moved there. They slept 1,500 people a night, fed 3,000 people a meal, and were the most amazing ministry I've ever seen or gotten to be part of. The place was phenomenal. What was I doing? They put me in human resources. I sat in a cubicle. That job was awful. $250 a month. Mm. Mm. I paid for a lot of grad school. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> once a week, we got to go serve meals. And I loved doing that, despite the many challenges. It was always the women who started fights and had to get broken up by security, ironically. That's just a thing. Um, during that time, when I was doing, you know, as much good as I could think to do, but still feeling really bad about myself, I ran into today's passage, and I realized what it meant. 
It meant that if God's love has genuinely changed me, and all evidence pointed to my life being fundamentally changed, then I could actually be confident that God's love would last. And the compassion that moved me to generosity with my time and money uh, was enough over time to grow my confidence in being in God's presence. Thirty years later, I have good news. These verses totally work in real life. As with the rest of the Bible, I tend to assume it's true, but I'm really grateful for the things that I've gotten to live out and find are true with my heart. This isn't head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. If you will let the Holy Spirit into your life, if you will choose to follow Jesus Christ, then you will be on a path to standing in the presence of God with confidence that you belong there, that God loves you, and that God's love is going to last for you. If you have never invited Jesus to be part of your life, I encourage you to talk to somebody on the prayer team. And uh, I want to invite the worship folks to come back up at this time. I invite you to stand as you are willing and able. And if you're on the prayer team, could you please come up and stand to the sides of the front here? We want you to know God's love is with you and for you. The creator of the universe, the generous God who is generous to us, wants to live in you and through you. I have three tips for you to put the Word of God into practice as we have received it this week, something to read, pray, and do. Tip number one, read 1 John 3, 11 to 24. If you like to read, read all of 1 John. 1 John's amazing. Very good book for a Bible study. If you have questions, look them up or feel free to ask me. I would be happy to talk to you. Tip number two, pray for confidence in God's love. Ah... Uh, I want my children to know that I love them. I don't want them to hope that I love them or think I might love them or be glad that I love them for now. God wants the same for you. God wants you to know all the way down that he loves you and that he's for you. Somebody would be happy to pray for you to experience that today if you have not. Tip number three is ask God to send you the Holy Spirit. So often in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is described as a foretaste of heaven or as a down payment on the eternal life that is to come. The Holy Spirit's described as the reason we know we can stand with confidence in God's presence. And if you haven't experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, today is a great day to do that. I will pray as we transition into worship. We'll close with a few songs, and the team will let us know when it's time to go. Uh, God, I'm so grateful for your generosity and kindness. I am so grateful that you have continued to give and to have new mercy. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness, God. And we want to receive your Holy Spirit here. And so we pray, God, would you send your Holy Spirit right now? God, I pray uh, specifically that you would break off of us today uh, fear of rejection by you or your people. I ask that you would set us free from wondering if you'll still love us after anything that we've ever done. I ask that you would set us free to receive your mercy again and again and again and again every morning. I also pray, God, that we could see more of your life breaking into our lives and then lived out of our lives. We pray that you would love 
every person in this room right now and that you would love us again and again and that your love would be so strong and so good that we can go into the world and share it with everybody else. Fill us up with your love, God, so that we can share it. Help us to share whatever we've been given. Amen. The team will dismiss us when we're done. Please come and receive prayer as God leads, and God bless you.